0: Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good
1: morning. This morning the reading Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses. 23 through 29. <clears throat> Am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will the hearts of the prophet ever turn back? Those who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart. They plan to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another. Just as their ancestors forgot my name for let the prophet, who has a dream, tell the dream. but let the one who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, says the Lord. Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: This reading is from Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. It came to bring, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what I stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division, From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three, they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: A reading from the writings of Emmanuel Swedenborg this morning come from Apocalypse Explained, section 644. Every person has two minds, an interior, which is called the spiritual mind, and another, the exterior, which is called the natural mind. The spiritual mind is created for the reception of light from heaven, but the natural mind for the reception of light from the world. The interior mind, which is heaven within a person, is open so far as the person acknowledges the divine of the Lord. And the person so far acknowledges this as they are in the good of love and charity and in the truths of doctrine and faith. But this interior mind, which is heaven with a person, is unopened so far as man does not acknowledge the divine of the Lord and does not live the life of love and faith. And that mind is shut so far as a person is in evils and falsities therefrom. And when it is shut, then the natural mind with man becomes a hell. For in the natural mind are evil and its falsity. Consequently, when the spiritual mind, which is heaven with a person, is shut, the natural mind, which is hell, rules.
0: Our reading today shares a a common theme, a theme reminding us that that God is not far off, ever present, and that There is a belief that upon God's arrival that the world will be reduced to its most principal parts. And those principal parts are namely good and evil. So the imagery often get in our mind, right, the classic battle between good and evil is the fight between an angel and a devil. We have a clear playing field there are good guys and there are bad guys in westerns right we always use the black hat versus the white hat right we always in our popular culture the one who is evil is clear and the one who is good tends it tends to be clear how often i'm just wondering are any one of us the bad guy like i don't mean Clearly, everyone I want to call a bad guy is a bad guy, but when we're thinking, how often do we label ourselves as the bad guy? We almost always place ourselves in the role of the good guy. How often is God always on your side versus you being on the other side? We really like to accuse all the other people of not being on God's side because we know what God wants. In fact, the disciples show this happening. The Bible shows the disciples doing this all the time. They make certain claims, and what does Jesus normally do? Jesus normally rebukes them and says, whoa, 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 guys, no. This is something that's normal. We all do it. You see, because we are not God, we are not perfect, we are not divine beings, we are growing people, and we are learning how to become more heavenly every day if we desire to and more often than not i probably do not know what god's will is so you remember these cartoons the cartoons with the angel and devil sitting on either side The main character would have the devil appear and whisper a selfish desire into one ear and then pop on the other side, an angel would appear and give another message, right? In the vast majority of the time, on in popular cartoons, the message was clear, right? The evil was evil and the good was, was really good. So much so that the person often would flick the good person off. But the angel would always come back and say, see, I told you so, right? In our argument, in our internal thought, oftentimes they're not clear. The things that try and manipulate us, the thoughts that enter our heads are oftentimes one, where we're, no one here says, how am I gonna be bad today, right? I'm assuming that's true. Right? No one says that. No one says, How can I be vicious and ruthless today? We always have subtle ways. Okay, somebody does. I don't know. Okay, somebody does. We always have vicious and ruthless ways. Uh, Or, sorry, we never attack things from a vicious and ruthless direction. We always have subtle ways where we say things nobody will notice. I'm not really hurting anyone. And the good messages don't usually come in riding a great white horse saying, this is how it has to be. This is the right thing to do. It's normally much more quiet. Is that, should you really be doing that? The thoughts in our minds are much more confusing. Oftentimes the thoughts in our minds are very confusing. And so it leaves us with a place where we have to figure out how do we make the right decisions. Swedenborg talks about that we have to be rational in order to be held accountable for the decisions and choices we make. This is kind of a confusing word to me. What does it mean to be rational? It means that we have to be able to freely choose. If we are forced to do something without being able to freely choose it, how can we be held accountable for doing it? So it's that time, that moment, when we touch at least the tip of temptation, where we, we have the opportunity to understand the difference between right versus wrong. So this involves lots of complicated things. So, for instance, perception. We see something. It's kind of the first stage of our awareness, thus the first stage of our rationality. We we have to see a problem. We have to be tempted. We have to have a situation that we actually question. But the thing to note is perception is about more than just the eyes. It's actually about lots of our senses. It's about touching, smelling Anyone here ever see a mirage? Anybody um, ever see those signs? And this is going to be my public service announcement for the day. Ever seen those signs that say, look for motorcycles? And when you kind of look at that sign, a lot of people go, well, of course I look for motorcycles. Have you ever noticed how when you get a new car or you get a new something, all of a sudden you start seeing that thing everywhere? Have you ever noticed that? They've actually studied that and there's a scientific reason for it, which is the vast majority majority of times that you see something, you actually do not see everything you think you see. Your eye only sees part of what you see and your brain fills in the rest. Which means when you start becoming familiar with something, you are more likely to see that more often than you would have before. So it is true that if a person does not conceive of what a motorcycle looks like on a road, they actually may not visually see it. The eye is not like a camcorder. You can look right at something and not see it because your brain doesn't fill in the image. The same thing is true of touch. Ever put your hand on something that's like, oh, that's cold. Oh, wait, no, it's hot. Or put your hand on something that is hot, but it feels cold at first, and then it catches up. Our perception is not like a scientific instrument. The brain has input into our perception. From there, perception goes on to experience. The interesting thing about experience is it does influence perception as well. But our experience can fuel our reaction and bias. Post-traumatic stress disorder is experience impacting what we see. We can oftentimes walk into a place where we've had a bad experience and viscerally feel bad because our experience has transformed our perception. And then we go on to education. Believe it or not, education affects both our perception and our experience. We can learn certain things. Racism, sexism, all the isms, they're usually things that we are taught by parents and community members, maybe even television from time to time. These are things that we're taught, and they alter what it is, what our experience is and what our perception is. You see, the amazing thing about education is it's not just school, it's parents, it's family, it's community. it's our entire existence. So it necessarily touches. There's like a triangle where education alters both experience and perception. And perception alters education and experience. And experience does both. It is all linked. Now when you think that all of this is going on in your head every time you make a decision, it really sounds kind of daunting, right? But it's not, you do it in a flash. Well, here's my question for you. If it can work as quick as you can snap a finger, and when you explain what everything's happening, it sounds really complex, but it happens in an instance. If you don't do something to combat what it is that you're exposed to, what do you think happens? You make bad choices. You react in unhealthy ways. If you don't take the time to examine what are the things that are around you and practice and rehearse and do new things, you could create problems. Now, it's linked with something else, and I'm going to throw a little Swedenborg in here because I'm training these words. Will, volition, understanding, and action. These are Swedenborgian concepts about what makes up a person, and they're linked What we desire becomes our perception. What we understand becomes our education. What our action is becomes our experience. And believe it or not, we can spiritually work on ourselves by working on our will, by working on our spiritual understanding, and working on our action, or as we commonly say it, use. Now, to illustrate these, little things. I'm going to start a little journey. Oh my goodness. What's coming from the west? A storm. You see a storm coming from the west. You see shapes in the distance and experience tells you that's rain and when it rains you get wet. The wind tells you it's coming from a direction that you know when it comes from that direction it always heads to you next or you see it at a distance and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm guessing your desire, for most of us, says we don't want to get wet. So what do you do? You prepare. You get an umbrella. You take shelter. You put little bags over your horses. I don't know if you can. They have little horse raincoats. Very sweet. You put. You, you ride your carriage with the cover. Okay, I'm guessing none of you have those, but you prepare. Our life experience, every, we prepare. We don't just stumble across umbrellas. We do things to prepare for the fact that we see rain coming. Now, when the wind starts blowing from the south, or you go to the Weather Channel, you say, uh-oh, Oop, go back. Going a little faster there. You say, there's, there's warm air coming up. There's a southern wind blowing. You know the wind is warm. You know it's from the south. You know warm weather makes you hot. Your desire is to be cool. The way to keep cool is to be wet. So you do exactly the opposite. You get on your bathing suit. You figure out the fun place to play, which is the frog pond in this picture. I think they took that spray thing out now. There are other water parks around the city you can research and go to. But you, you, get, you put on a bathing suit. You wear a hat. You do things. You prepare yourself for the coming heat. When we go through these situations the first time, usually something bad happens. Then we start learning, oh, I always keep a spare umbrella in my car. I always have a fan or something that I can use if it gets too hot. I mean, you you start to learn. You cheer, change. You prepare. You prepare by having an umbrella, a hat, a flashlight when it's dark, swimming trunks, for if you happen to go to a hotel that has a pool. I mean, You know when things are coming and you change your behaviors. A seatbelt, even though the vast majority of people have not had a fatal car accident, you still put your seatbelt on because you were taught to do it. We practice it. It uh, rehearse it. Um, I remember when I was younger, I did not have to wear seatbelts as a young kid. I remember when the law came into effect that kids had to be seatbelted. And I was taught, wear your seatbelt, wear your seatbelt. And I would harass my father because he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. You have to wear your seatbelt. I prepared. I changed. I remember doing that. I adopted it quicker than he did. But eventually, he always put on his seatbelt. Lifeguards train. Firemen train. Train. How come we don't spiritually train? More often than not, we go to church once a week. Maybe you can count that as spiritual training. But what the Lord is telling us in our Bible passages, with all these things in our natural life, we see bad stuff coming, and we do something about it. We plan, we prepare, we change, but we know that emotionally painful things are going to happen to us. We know that we're going to have to face death. We know that we're going to have to face struggle and trauma and temptation. And how often do we prepare ourselves for that? Every time we get in a car, even though the statistical likelihood of having an accident is very low, every time we get in a car, we're supposed to click the seatbelt. Every day we are going to be tempted to choose love versus selfishness, every day, but yet we don't necessarily practice that. So how do we spiritually train ourselves? There are lots of ways. There are lots of ways to spiritually train ourselves. One of them is using little tricks. Now this is something that exists in almost every Swedenborgian church I've ever been in. Swedenborg had these things called rules of life. Now, it's oftentimes said that they're Swedenborg's rules of life, so I don't know if they actually are. I don't, I've never read the exact quote anywhere. Somebody extrapolated them, I think. But they're really interesting way of spiritually training yourselves. The first one starts, to diligently read and meditate on the word. Now, again, how many people have ever picked up the Bible and said, I'm going to read the Bible in a year? And you bought one of those daily Bible reading books and you do it, and you're really good until you get to numbers, it's always numbers that kills you. Numbers are Deuteronomy, it's just, oh my gosh, do I really have to read a genealogy list? They always get you. I'm not talking about a hard-pressed, difficult thing. Every Sunday, I don't know if you're aware, most of you are, you get this great little bulletin. You can take it home, and you can just read the Bible readings in your bulletin in the morning or in the evening. Anything to focus your mind on God. Anything to help us remember the larger issues of creation. It's not a difficult thing. Even having a a cute little psalm calendar or a daily Bible verse, email, anything, helps shift our desires from ourselves to the larger world. Now, the next one is the hardest for me, I think, sometimes. To be content under the dispensations of God's providence. That's a really confusing statement. I I like to paraphrase it by saying, Don't let the bad stuff get you down. Meaning, you don't always get your way, you're not in control of everything. But don't spend your day wallowing in that difficulty. This does not mean we should put up with bad things that happen to us and say, well, I guess that happens. It's saying that the attitude that we meet the world with is important. Remember that we are not in control and remember to look for God's grace in those things. The next one is one of my favorite, and that is observe propriety of behavior and to keep the conscience clear. This is good old language. When I was a a wee lad in a young youth leadership program, they told me about the newspaper rule. The newspaper rule is quite simple. Don't do anything that you don't want to see on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow. In other words, if you are trying to hide what you are doing to such a degree that you don't want anyone to know, that's a good indicator not to do it. Ask yourself, if everybody else did this around me, how would that make me feel? It's a good indicator that you probably shouldn't do what you're about to do. And then finally, another good wordy one, because they were wordy back then. To obey what is ordered to attend faithfully to one's office and other duties, in addition to make oneself useful to society in general. Don't sit around and do nothing. That's what this is saying. Do what you are supposed to do. Do your duty. Follow the Ten Commandments Do your job well. Don't just do it mindlessly. Engage in what you are supposed to do, knowing that it is important to all of creation. And we have sometimes a hard time. Very few of us really think about the trash man that much, right? But when they don't do our job, how much do we think about them? When we see that they dumped half the trash can on the ground... We think about them. There are so many jobs in this world that we do not think about. That when those people do their duty with diligence in a loving and good way, amazing things happen. And when they don't, we are really, really remarkably upset. Now, we give out Emmys to good actors, we don't give out trashies to good trashmen. Everyone's role is important. And doing that duty, and when Swedenborg used the term useful, it means loving to your neighbor. Doing your duty lovingly to your neighbor is essential. That is what it means to see a cloud forming in the West. In this Bible passage, it is a statement saying, sure, you're going to take care of your needs in this world, But Jesus is challenging you to grow spiritually, to look at new ways of coming, to understand that the more you spiritually prepare for the difficulties ahead, the happier you will be. The more alive you will feel, the better you will be able to meet the needs of this world. So I hope this week, whether it's Swedenborg's rules or maybe a different thing that you do, how will you spiritually train yourself to see that the storms ahead, the storms of our time, are not just external storms of the world, but are emotional storms in our hearts? And what will you do to prepare? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the
3: web at churchonthehillboston.org.